You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. So uh, this new series, it's called What's Next because every single one of us sits at a certain place in a continuum of far from God to close to Jesus to entering eternity to spend all of our time, the rest of our life, the rest of eternity being in the presence of God. And so we all get to pick how much of the presence of God we're going to experience every day. He is ready, available, present, and wanting to meet with you. The question is, do you want the same for him? Like three times today, somebody prayed that the Holy Spirit would speak through me today, that God would be close to me. And at, what, at the first time I was like, do I really want that God that close to me that he's speaking through me? That sounds really, really weird. But it's actually really, really good for all of us. And so as we go through this series, we're gonna talk about what it could look like to take the next step to have, maybe it's a fresh start, maybe it's a new relationship, maybe it's growing closer to another person because of your shared relationship with Jesus, but it's a chance to dive in deeper. So I thought of this amazing story that I didn't 100% make up. It's a real thing. Took place 20 years ago this year. 20 years ago this year, my wife and I and a a couple friend of ours decided to go visit another friend of ours that we had gone to school with who was a, he was like a pastor in Germany. He was at an air base in um, 2003. So we flew to Europe to meet him and then tour Europe. We thought, what could go wrong? For those of you who've never been in a situation like this before, it's about to go horribly wrong. So the first thing we thought was, why not rent a car? Because we're Americans. Obviously, we should drive. Never mind the fact that they've got railways and monorails and sky cars. Europe is basically like Disneyland. There's big mountains. You can get anywhere by walking or riding on something. We decided to rent a car. Here's why we thought it would be a good idea. Because we weren't going to England. That's the place it's never a good idea to rent a car, no matter how good you think you do driving in a mirror. So we went to Europe and we thought, how hard could it be? Because they've got street signs. You just follow the street signs. This is what a few European street signs look like. Here's what we did not know. These don't make any sense to anyone who lives in America. They use different systems. They have decimals. They have stuff we don't even know about. I can't make sense of any of these, but I don't know it until I get there. This sign evidently means there's a church coming. (laughs) This one seems to tell me that Tom Hanks is probably going to be playing the piano with his feet. (laughs) If you drive over this sign, Mario gets a hammer and smashes all the barrels, but he can't jump anymore. That's about as much sense as the signs made to me. In America, we don't even really pay attention to the signs because they write on the sign what the sign means. That's because we assume everyone speaks the same language in America. But in Europe, everyone speaks like nine languages, so they just put an arrow pointing at the ground for you to look at when you go by. Oh, that's where we were supposed to stop, back there. That's what we learned. So our goal was to drive from Germany to France in our Renault Elf rental car. It was as big as it sounds. We started driving there. Now, let me tell you a few things about Europe. One, they never had cowboys there. It was never wide open spaces. 
If it ever was a wide open space, they solved that problem by building castles everywhere. And I don't know if you know this, but an ancient castle is designed for you to stay as far away from the middle of it as possible. That's where the dude sitting on the cushy throne with the hat is, and he doesn't want you anywhere near him. So he builds walls, and he builds booby traps, and he builds moats, and he fills them with crocodiles that are actually booby traps. They don't want you anywhere near there. Now, here's another really difficult thing about driving in Europe. Every city is built around one of these old castles, and every rental car agency wants you to return the car right there in the middle of the castle, the one place you can't possibly get, even if you have a battering ram. The city we were going to was the modern city of Strasbourg. You can see the beautiful cathedral. Do you see the town square right next to it? That's where the rental car agency return was. That's where we had to get. Now I'm gonna tell you a few things about men on vacations. We're sad we did it. You wanna go on a vacation and you've invited a man to go with you. You didn't wanna do that because he's gonna walk around and you see the look on his face as he calculates everything mentally. How much is this going to cost me as I go on this trip? I got six kids times 147. I wish that I wasn't here right now. Well, on our drive to get to the middle of the European city that we couldn't find our way to the center of, our wives were having the time of their life. Look at the wildflowers. Look at how beautiful they are. I saw a woman wearing a princess dress. The entire time, we're getting more and more angry. And the more fun they have, the angrier we get because we cannot get to the middle of this Rubik's Cube. We just can't. After about our ninth attempt to penetrate the heart of darkness of this medieval fortress, we decided to give up. We said, let's just park the car here, call them and tell them where we left it. They know where it is. They can come get it. Plus, we'll walk the rest of the way. That's when my friend Brian, who's very smart, said, Let's just wait and ask the next person who comes along. Now, we had entered France. I don't know if you know this, but like Germany's kind of a hostile country historically. These are my people. I went to Oktoberfest yesterday. I was like, yeah, this is the stock that I come from. Twice, we've declared war. We picked the entire world as our enemy. <laughs> I think it wouldn't have been close, right? They're surprisingly friendly in Germany when you don't speak German. I'm gonna tell you something about going to France and not speaking French. This irks them. We couldn't get anywhere near the center of the city, so I'm like, yeah, let's wait for one more humiliating experience. And at that moment, I kid you not, coming around the corner is a French girl, probably late teens on a bicycle. I also kid you not, in the bicycle was a basket of flowers and a baguette. Like God and central casting had conspired to send us the exact person we needed because she spoke English. She rode up and we we're like, excuse us, can you help us? And she was like, I will do my best. So we told her, we're trying to get to the cathedral. And she went like that, I promise you. She swooned and then as if to no one said, you are so far. So at that point in time, right, my friend Brian hands her our map. This is a scan of our map. You can kind of see why we were getting nowhere, right? And she looks at it and then she holds it and she like looked at the sun and then she oriented it to where the clock tower was there. And then she said, here at the clock tower is where you will find sanctuary. She assumed one of us was the hunchback. And then she used, used her fingernails. She scraped a path all the way to the tower where we needed to go, and we made it. 
It was great. At the exact moment when we could have fallen to infighting. You know this happens maybe on your own vacation when you're upset. And why didn't we plan more? How come we didn't bring a better map? Why did you do this to me? All those things happen. We could have fallen to that or we could have held out for a moment and trusted that God was gonna supply what we needed, and he did, and it turned out to be a person who was able to take something that we could see but couldn't touch and get it to us. More specifically, grow us to the point that we could get to where we needed to be, and that's what we're talking about today as we look at a passage from the book of Matthew together. God is calling you to something, and it is just out of your reach, and that's not a bad thing. So here's what you need to know about the world that Jesus is living in in the first century for today's story to make sense. The first thing you need to know is at this point in time, Jesus and all of his Jewish relatives, the people of Israel, have been conquered by the Romans. And the Romans are gold farming the entire known world. Their whole job is to get to where you are, get you to work for them, take your stuff so that they can live smarter, not harder. The problem is what it means for the rest of the world is they've got to work harder. And so Jesus and all of his family members are living under the thumb of Rome who are making them work to give what they have to the Romans so that they can rule and be in charge. And everyone in Jesus' family, every one of his neighbors, every person he was related to, every person in any of the major cities where he lived was desperate for this moment when God would come and bring his kingdom to earth and replace the Roman kingdom that God would come rule them through a person called the Messiah, the chosen one, the hero, the LeBron James of their day. That's what God was going to do. So Jesus, who grew up in the city of Nazareth and was trained as a day laborer, walks from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee. And as he walks around the lake, he starts calling people to be his disciples. In Matthew 4, 17, it says this, from that time, Jesus began to preach this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who would eventually be called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Spoiler alert, for they were fishermen. <laughs> Jesus is doing something different. And this different thing that Jesus is doing is going and looking to find people who are going to follow him because he's going to accomplish something new. The first thing that he says is repent because the kingdom of God is near, which makes you ask this question, or at least makes me make you ask this question rhetorically. What does Jesus mean by the fact that the kingdom of God is near? The kingdom of heaven is near. Here's what you need to know. This dream that the people of Israel had that someday someone would come from God and God would rule them through this Messiah character is an outgrowth of the way they lived before the Romans conquered them. Before the Romans conquered the people of Israel, the people of Israel had their own king. Their greatest king, David, was someone called a person after God's own heart. 
The way God thought and felt and looked at things is the way David thought and felt and looked at things. David led the people by caring for them, doing what was best, and doing what God called him to do. And so God promised to send another king like David to the people. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near, he's saying the day that God is going to rule by representing himself through his new king is very close to happening. It's about to happen. Now, this concept of the kingdom of God is a little bit of a spoiler alert for all of us in this story, that Jesus dies so that when he rises again, he can put his Holy Spirit in each person who follows him so that the kingdom of God will come within you and then be manifest to the world through you. God didn't send Jesus to die so you could go to heaven after you die. If he did, it's a bad plan because you're only gonna go there for a short period of time before Jesus comes back and remakes the earth, making all things new. We should probably sing a song about that. Wait, you already did. Into this situation, right? God is making all things new, starting with you. And in you and through you, he's working a plan to make his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus prays, wait for it, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, a place where people hear the words of God, do the will of God, and his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. God is creating a place, maybe within your own family, maybe in your workplace, where you hear his word. You speak his truth, his grace, and his mercy to others, and God's kingdom becomes visible. God is manifesting himself to us through each other when we surrender and submit to him. When we, wait for it, repent, because the kingdom of God is close. That's inspiring, is it not? So one of the byproducts of this is that if you trust Jesus and you die, you will go to heaven and return with him to make the earth new and live in his new kingdom here. That's one of the byproducts. But one of the now products is each of us is given an opportunity to be close to Jesus, to hear his voice, to Take the step of faith to say, he knows best and I will do it his way. So when I'm angry, I will grieve and forgive and offer grace and mercy. So that when I am disappointed that things didn't work the way I wanted them to, I can grieve and turn to him and trust that he will grow me in this hardship to become who he wants me to be. Jesus said to Be prepared for the kingdom of God by repenting. Repenting is turning from one thing into another. Yesterday at Oktoberfest, I had something called a um, Reuben sandwich. Have you ever heard of these? They take two pieces of rye. You guys are like, who hasn't heard of a Reuben? Two pieces of rye bread, pastrami, sauerkraut, grill it up, throw some Swiss cheese in there, maybe some Thousand Island dressing. It's delicious. That's not the only thing I ate. (laughs) I had some Mexican corn on the cob. This is one of the best things about the Mount Angel Oktoberfest is that you have a Spanish-speaking community and a German community making mashups of food together. It's incredible. Anyone gives you a choice between just regular corn and Mexican corn, always choose Mexican corn. I threw a bratwurst and some more sauerkraut on top of that. (laughs) 
They have this sandwich called a Berliner, which is different than a Reuben, but I don't know how. There was something called apple cake, and then there's also German chocolate cake, and then the Oregon Dairy women were there with the soft serve. So let me tell you something about the food I'm eating today. <laughs> I am turning from the pursuit of food that I had previously yesterday, and I am turning towards more leafy greens. <laughs> For my sake and everyone else's sake who knows me. Repentance is simple. It's something we do every day. It's a change of heart that produces a change of direction. This is what I was pursuing. I'm now pursuing this. Jesus is saying, stop pursuing what you are pursuing and instead pursue what I am pursuing. Whoever the king of your life is, is who you're going to follow. Jesus is saying, if you're the king of your own life, you're going to knock yourself out. But if I am the king of your life, and you want the kingdom of God, then you're gonna demonstrate that I am the king. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Each of us can be as close to Jesus as we wanna be. We can have a fresh start today being as close to Jesus as we wanna be by turning from pursuing our own thing and pursuing his thing. And he says this to two guys who are standing at the seashore throwing their nets in the sea because they were fishermen. This is interesting because throughout history, this is not how Jewish people engaged in religious education. If you don't know, the way it worked was as a young child, boys and girls were trained by the first five books of the Old Testament to read, write, and do math. You can do that. You can count all the way to 10 in the Old Testament using just the commandments. Any student who showed an aptitude for this was identified for additional education. An additional education looked like this. A rabbi came to your town. He was very smart. He knew the rest of the scriptures. If you had demonstrated the ability to really learn and grow, you were selected to be one of his disciples. He interviewed you, called you to be his disciple. If not, you could count on life in the trades. Which means these young men throwing their nets on the water have already been passed over for higher education. So when Jesus shows up and says, the two of you, you're coming with me. You're going to be my disciples. He's going to people who are already working in the trades and he's saying, come follow me. We know this because look right here in the next verse, he says, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and his brother, John, not coincidentally, also the son of Zebedee in a boat with their father. What's his name? So later on, ask your kids who the father of the sons of Zebedee was. It's going to blow their mind. Some of you will get that later. Mending their nets. And he called them. Jesus goes to this group of untrained, not unlearned people, and he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Notice what Jesus is doing here. It's very subtle. The first is he's telling them, do you guys think catching fish is important and good? If you follow me, 
I will make you fishers of people. I have the ability to transform you and what you do to have an eternal impact, not just a momentary right now in this life impact. And I don't want to belittle that momentary in this life impact. Jesus' disciples are working as hard as they can to get fish out of the water to sell to people so that they can eat today. Remember, there's no refrigeration. The best you can do to preserve meat is put salt on it. If they don't get fish out of the water every day, the people in the villages don't have something to sell to the people who live farther away from the lake. They don't have taxes to pay the Romans. They're going to lose their lives. They're fishing to save their own lives, to save their own necks, to eat, to supply their families. It's noble, important, and good work. There is no skill in this world that is less than another skill. The question is, are you interested in turning the skill you have, the ability you have, the talent you have, how God has blessed you into something that goes beyond the momentary and into the eternal? Because if you want that, Jesus promises he can transform what it is you currently do, what you are good at, from something that gets you by today into something that benefits and blesses his kingdom eternally. You can go from being an agent of your own kingdom to being an agent of his kingdom. But that transformation happens because he does it, not because we does it. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The promise of transformation comes to anyone who promises to follow Jesus. If you give your life to Jesus, God will transform you and he will take what it is that you are good at and he will use it for his eternal impact. There's a couple of really important things for us to pay attention to in this. The first thing is that Jesus announces that the kingdom of heaven is near. He's saying that the time is now. I don't know about you, but I don't like striking out in anything. Dating. It took me a long time to ask my wife out and to make sure she wasn't going to say no first. <laughs> Investing. When you take a risk, there's a chance you will look bad if it doesn't work out for you, which is what delays us in acting. It stretches things out. Fear always stretches things out. Fear paralyzes us or it pushes us to do things we shouldn't do. Jesus is demonstrating that there's an urgency to our next step. When it comes time to do life with Jesus the way he calls us to, to put his Holy Spirit on us, to become his kingdom agent, there is a now aspect. This was the moment for each of them standing on the lake, whether they were casting their nets or they were mending their nets, they were doing something specific. And he was like, I'm gonna ask you to leave that in hope, in faith, in belief that what I'm gonna ask you to do is going to be What is it that you're thinking to yourself might be less of a risk than following Jesus? And I'm not talking about for the first time, although for some of us, it might be the first time. But for all of us, there's other stuff like you got that kid in your family. 
They are not doing well. But as long as you don't talk about it, you can imagine it's not as bad as you fear. That's paralysis, stretching the time, entrenching negative things. Some of us have a friend and we have resentments with them. You know that unaddressed resentments are what causes friends to become frenemies. And taking the risk of having a conversation that clears the air, hey, when you said this, it made me feel this way. Believing that it could be better, taking the risk. God's constantly speaking to our hearts and he's prompting and moving us forward saying, take the risk and trust that I'll meet you in it. You can't necessarily see it, but I'll get it within reach. There's an urgency to what Jesus asks us to do. And let me tell you, sometimes we think that that urgency is based on another fear of the bad thing that will happen, right? There are bad things that happen when we drag our feet. But you know what the worst thing is? There are blessings that God wants to give us that we are not receiving when we don't act in faith. Remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse three. That God is a rewarder of those who believe and pursue him. The people of Israel were scared. They didn't press in to take the promised land. And God said, I want to bless you with a land flowing with milk and honey. It took 40 years for their children to receive it because they were scared to receive God's blessings. They didn't believe that God would meet them, provide them with what they needed. He would grow them to make them the kind of people who could possess that blessing. Urgency. Here's another you, right? Jesus is basically saying the kingdom of God is at hand, right? In many of your translations, when you read this, it says the kingdom of God is at hand. That at, that preposition, is different than in hand. The kingdom of God is actually unattainable for us under our own strength, in our own power, and let me tell you why that's not a bad thing. Because it's greater and bigger than us. Only God can take care of that. By our own efforts, we can't press into the kingdom of God. We can't spread the kingdom of God. It's because of God and what God has done, not because of who we are and what we desire. Had this um, light bulb that went out in my house. Not surprisingly, I purchased it on a as-seen-on-TV <laughs> impulse. I was in Walmart. I was walking down the clearance aisle. There was an as-seen-on-TV bright light, four LED panels. You screw it into a regular thing, shines out, looked incredible on the commercial. This was my chance to get it for very cheap. So I bought it. I installed it. It was supposed to last a lifetime. So I got up on the ladder in my garage and we kind of have a high garage and I don't have like a high ladder. So I got up on the ladder and I reached and I couldn't reach it. It was at hand. It was not in hand. So I did whatever I could do under my own power to change the light bulb. You know this device also as seen on TV. 
So I got up on that ladder, right? And I was reaching for the bulb, right? Now, you can probably imagine this isn't going to go well, but hang with me for the humor. I, I leaned in, right? And I, it was just, even with this device, it was just far enough out of my reach that I could, I was, I was like, okay, so I'm gonna do it, right? I went up to the step you're not supposed to stand on. One, why are we putting that step on the ladder? If I'm not supposed to be on it, don't put it there. And that paint bucket, that's just another step I'm not supposed to step on, but I'm very tempted to. So I'm doing this kind of number, right? Because the, the higher your leg goes, the further your arm will go. If anyone had come in my garage at this point, possibly, they, I would have stopped because it looked so silly. But no one can see me, so why not go for it? That was the moment that the ladder really started to shift underneath me. Now I survived, but I learned a really valuable lesson. When God puts things just out of our reach and we decide we're gonna get it under our own strength, there's a disaster that's about to happen. So maybe you're really smart. Congratulations, God blessed you. He put the kingdom out of your reach. You can't get it by thinking, how can I get this on my own? Maybe you're really charming. Maybe you're a good talker. Maybe you're a great listener. Each of us is tempted to use the human gifts God has given us to accomplish something spiritual without God. In the end, that's us still working a plan for our own kingdom under our own power. So every time you talk yourself out of a problem, every time you buy yourself out of a problem, every time you borrow yourself out of a problem, every time you steal yourself out of a problem, what we're really doing is we're actually creating the next problem. The kingdom of God is unattainable. It's in our reach, but it takes that person showing up on a bike with their flowers and their bread to say, I'm here to put this in reach for you. And that person is Jesus. You see, there is no Christianity without the death burial and resurrection of Jesus because his death on the cross and his resurrection defeats sin in our life and death in our afterlife so his Holy Spirit can give us the ability to hear him speak words and say, do it this way, not that way. Do it this way, not that way. There is a million ways I can try to defeat sin or get blessings on my own. And when I don't do it by listening to the voice of God, asking for his strength and moving in obedience, all I'm doing is kicking the can further down the road, trusting in myself instead of trusting in Jesus to take my skills, gifts, and abilities, to use them for his kingdom purposes, and then he will bless me because of my surrender, submission, and obedience. That's the challenge. So for some of us, we're here and we're like, I don't wanna take my next step actually because I don't know how close to God I wanna be because I know he's gonna ask me to do some things I most certainly do not wanna do. He might ask me to stop doing some things that have become coping mechanisms that I feel like I need so that I can get by. And I'm not necessarily talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Those are the obvious ones. <laughs> how about just that sense of superiority that comes when you hear who somebody voted for? <laughs> Look how stupid you are. At least I didn't do that. That works for both groups of people. <laughs> Some of us, it's the sense of comfortability that comes from working a little bit more, getting a little bit more money, and spending a little less. 
We're gonna care for ourselves, take care of ourselves, provide for ourselves. Instead of being open-handed and generous, saying, whatever God gives to me, I'm going to pass on. See, whatever you get from God in your time with God is what you actually have to offer. You can't offer something you don't have. So if you're not sitting down after you've failed, listening to God and saying, I'm really sorry, here's where I failed. And hearing him say, I have grace and mercy in my son Jesus who died for this very reason. And I want to raise you back to life through my forgiveness and grace. When somebody fails you, you're not gonna have that to offer. That's the parable of the unforgiving servant right there in a nutshell. This is why the kingdom is unattainable to us in our brokenness. It's only in our healing time spent with Jesus, time by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have something to offer. That's why it's unattainable. And that's why it's good because I'm not the solution to the world's problems, Jesus is. And he's manifesting himself through me. It's me pointing to him that takes my skills, gifts, and abilities. I could be reading the news somewhere. It's basically the only other thing I'm qualified to do. In France today, two men were lost. But because I surrendered and submitted to him, this is where he put me. And this is what I'm using my words for. Just means we have to take him seriously with the last one, right, is the, the changed trajectory. He says, turn and follow me. See, they left their nets and whether they were throwing them or they were mending them, it says, right, that James and John walked away from what? What's their dad's name? Yeah, they walked away from the family business, actually. You see, that transformation that Jesus offers is a changed trajectory as well. It meant they left the family business to follow Jesus. They left some security, they left some stability, they left being known and understood to step out into something unknown that God would meet them in and provide for them in and use them to provide for the world in, right? Because James and John wrote some books that we read. That God manifesting himself in and through them is what put you and I here today. That's what we get when we submit to the transformation of Jesus. So much of my life has been spent living in fear that I have to lose something that was really important. Can I tell you something? I never gave up something that God wanted me to set down that he didn't put something better in my hand. Sometimes he drops something better in hand. Sometimes he just grows your arm long enough. You become more of a person so you can accomplish what he asks you to. But he never shortchanges you on the deal. I like to think that if I had to set something down, then I didn't really need it. And if I needed it, he's gonna give it back to me later. So I can be open-handed with all of that. You won't take your next step. And whether that next step is in community jumping into Rooted, jumping into a men's group or a women's group, jumping into serving with kids or students. You won't take that next step if you're scared that what you're setting down, what you're turning from is greater than what you're turning to. But what you're turning to is actually a who and he is greater than anything because he died, resurrected and offers new life to any of us. What's next for all of us is one of those three steps. So let me ask you, what step do you need to take today? 
Does it need to be this step of urgency? I'm not wasting any more time. I'm not gonna try to do it at my own pace. I'm gonna do what Jesus asked me to do. In a room like this, there's a million different things God is asking us to do. And when we take communion, ask him to speak to your heart. What do you want me to do? He's gonna bring a person to your mind. He's gonna bring a place. He's gonna bring an idea. He's gonna speak to your heart. Forgive this person. Ask for forgiveness from this person. Give this to this person. do any of this, you just set down the three G's, right? There's three terrible G's that we fall to when we're doing our own thing, right? Griping, gossiping, and glorifying. We do the first two to get to the third one. The more I gripe about you, the more I gossip about you, the more I glorify myself. Jesus is like, no, glorify me by being grateful and giving. You can trust him. sense of urgency will lead to a transformed life as you surrender to him. And as you surrender to him, he will give you all that you need for life and godliness. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. And we don't deserve it. And we can't earn it. But because you gave yourself away in a reckless way, God, you give us your reckless love. And I pray that as we celebrate that love that led to your death, your burial, your resurrection, and the giving of your Holy Spirit to us, I pray that you would fill us with your peace and your joy to reach out, God, to reach out to you with a sense of urgency and that we wouldn't be unchanged as a result. All we're setting down are things we shouldn't have. And what we're asking for is all you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Communion is when we remember Jesus' sacrifice. The God of heaven came to earth, being found in fashion as a man, made himself humble to death, even a death on the cross. His perfect life and his death without resurrection is what makes any of this possible. It's what puts it in our eye line so he can grow us to grab or receive it. So take some time to reflect on the nearness of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken. The cup represents his blood that was poured out to wash us clean. And as you talk to him, demonstrate that gratefulness that wants to bring him glory for how he gave 